Father, we are so grateful for your amazing grace. It is truly the sweetest sound to the ears of each and every sinner who has been redeemed. To all of us who were lost, but are now found. To all of us who were blind, but now, Lord, in your light, we can see. So, Father, I pray that as we seek you in your word tonight, that our attitude of worship would not change. That we would have a great desire, Lord, just to continue drawing near to you, listening for your voice, and honoring you. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 22 of Second Samuel, verse 1. Then David spoke to the Lord the words of this song. On the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now, some think that this psalm was written quite early in David's life, uh, perhaps right after he came to power, after the death of Saul. Psalm? Saul. 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 Now, this is also, however, Psalm 18. And so there is a messianic component. Oh, my word. It's going to be a rough night, guys. King Saul and components and I'll just get it all out right now. There is a messianic component to this psalm that we will see before we are done with it. It would have actually been Psalm 18 that the disciples would have been singing when they crossed over the brook Kidron uh, after the Lord's Supper or after the the Passover and when Jesus established the Lord's Supper on their way out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, The Gospel says, as they went out, they sung a hymn, and this was traditionally, uh, Psalm 18 was traditionally the hymn they would sing uh, at that time after the Passover dinner the night before. Uh, they may have sung something else, perhaps your love, O Lord. Um, probably not. May have been. They could have sung Psalm 36. Uh, now, what is very interesting, though, about this psalm and what you see as you read the other psalms that were written early on in David's life is that we're going to get to places uh, a little uh, later in this psalm where he talks about Uh, Like verse 21, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. Right? Verse 23, all his judgments were before me. And as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. And that's probably why we get the idea that this psalm was written early in David's life before his sin with Bathsheba. Because then, as you start looking at the psalms that were written later in David's life, David stops coming to God and saying, you know, oh Lord, because of my righteousness, because of my good deeds, because I've kept your law, now hear me and deliver me from my enemies. No, the Psalms that he writes later on in his life are because of your mercy, because of your goodness. Uh, When you get up to Psalm 51, which he wrote as a direct response to the sin with Bathsheba was after Nathan came and confronted him. Verse 1 of Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And it goes on from there, giving us one of the most famous verses that uh, another popular Worship song was written up in verse 10, creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me, uh, and so forth. So a very different attitude. Uh, And I think it's good for us to understand this and to think on it. um, And we're going to talk about that a little bit more a little bit later on. So let's read some of this beautiful song and talk about it. Verse 2, and he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield, 
and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. When the waves of death surrounded me, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry entered his ears. So this is essentially praising God for his deliverance and how when David called upon the name of the Lord, the Lord answered and speaking, you know, of things like his worthiness to be praised. uh, I really like that he starts off with the Lord is my rock. Uh, This is language that is common in reference to Jesus Christ and God the Father throughout Scripture. But Jesus, or sorry, Paul told us that Jesus is the rock that followed the Israelites in the wilderness up in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 4. If you want to spend some time this week, get a good concordance, or actually just, no, don't do that. Anybody have the old Strong's concordance at home? I have one. I have a Strong's concordance. It's like 82,000 pages long, right? And the print is so small, I haven't opened it in who knows how long. I couldn't read it with like my glasses and your glasses on. Um, and what's really fun is you get to the letter, the word A. It lists every single verse in the Bible where the letter or word A is used. And the, with, and, oh, it's incredibly painful. Um, But what you could do to make your life easy is Google it. Um, Google all the places in the Bible where a rock is referred to. Now, some of them, it's just going to be a rock, right? I don't want you to be disappointed. Uh, But many of them will refer to God. Many of them will refer to him in the type of language we see here, where he is our rock, our fortress, our deliverer, our strength, our trust, our shield, our horn, which is another way of saying strength, our salvation, our stronghold, which is another way of saying fortress, our refuge, which is another way of saying stronghold, our savior, which is another way of saying our salvation, right? And what's so beautiful about this, and it's one of the reasons I really love to pray uh, in the Psalms, is because I I don't know about you, um, but I do sometimes struggle to find the words that I need when I'm praying. I don't always have, right, I know what I'm feeling, but it may not come out in a way that's intelligible. And that's okay. God understands, right? We know from uh, Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And and there have been times when I have specifically requested that. And I've come to the Lord and I'm like, I have no idea what to pray. Lord, I need your Spirit to intercede because I I just don't know. Uh, But other times... There's some beautiful things in the Psalms that do express that and express it uh, much, much better than I can. Right? It's like, um, could you imagine if David had written that, that wonderful dinner prayer? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Right? It might have rhymed if David had written it. Uh, amen? Right? That's not how David would have written it. God is great. My rock and my fortress, and my deliverer. God is good. I trust him, the shield and salvation of my life. Thanks for dinner. (laughs) Maybe he wouldn't have done that. I don't know. Maybe he would have. Verse 8. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down, with darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness canopies around him, dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, coals of fire were kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven 
And the Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning bolts, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. So this is the power of God's response to David's prayer. When David cried out to God, when David needed help, God answered in an incredibly powerful way. Right? The earth shaking, coals kindled, darkness and on wings, and he sends out arrows, and by his brightness he's starting fires. And when his voice thundered from heaven, right, the world was shaken, the foundations of the world uncovered at his rebuke. It's just this amazing thought that when David cried out, God answered. And I love this because David recognized that when he was in trouble, that the only place for him to go was to cry out to God. Jeremiah 33 verse 3 says this, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And I know I've said this on multiple occasions, but it always astounds me. Uh, and granted, you know, God's omnipotent and omniscient and, you know, and, and so he, he has much greater abilities than anybody else. But it always astounds me that we have an audience with the creator and sustainer of all things anytime we want it. That, that is mind-boggling to me. I, I've, I've often used the illustration of, you know, uh, what if you wanted to call the president? Pretty good chance, even if you got the number, well, I'm, I suppose if you got the number, the Secret Service would show up at your door. Um, but let's just assume you got the number and you called I'm not thinking he's going to answer the phone. Right? Try calling your senator. You ever try, have you ever done that? I've tried contacting my senator before. You get the runaround. You might get an aide or a secretary. Oh, yes, this, this topic's very important to your senator. You know, he or she's going to get back to you as soon as they can. Is there anything I can help you with? <laughs> right? Because you're not going to get to talk to your senator. But the creator of the universe says, yeah, come on up, come jump on my lap. You got something you need to talk about? Come talk to me. You got something you need to ask about? Come ask me. You're scared? Come, let me wrap you in my arms. You're excited? Come and share it with me. You have no idea what to say? That's okay. Just come cry on my shoulder and I'll hold you. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me. And I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Now, on a slight rabbit trail, verse 16 talks about the channels of the sea. Um, some translations will say paths, the paths of the sea. Uh, when you get into the latter few chapters of the book of Job, that phrase is repeated. Um, and we see it in, oh, it's somewhere in Proverbs, but don't ask me where. It's towards the earlier part of Proverbs, if I'm correct. We see language like that. Now, what this is speaking of is ocean currents. Now, back then, right, they, they had ships. They, they sailed. Um, they, they apparently weren't terribly good at it, not till much, much later. But they had ships and they sailed, um, right? When you get into Solomon, he was sending ships all over the place to bring him back gold and peacocks and, and you know whatever else he had his heart set on apes. what's that apes. apes yeah apes um and so they would have had some knowledge of ocean currents but it wouldn't have been extensive but the fact that david here writing a song mentions it is just astounding to me because um the bible is not right and don't anybody take this wrong please but the bible is not a scientific book Right? The Bible is not a, for lack of a better phrase, a science textbook. However, there are many places where the Bible does speak about scientific issues. Uh, for example, and this is also in uh, the end of Job, he talks about how the Lord drew the circle of the earth. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means when God created the earth, he made it round. Now, I know some people don't believe that. 
And just like you're allowed to disagree with me about your love, O Lord, by third day being the greatest worship song ever written, you are allowed to believe that the earth is flat. Now, if you tell me you believe that, I will immediately lose 84% of my respect for you. Um, I'll love you in Jesus' name, uh, but you know the, the earth is a circle. It's a big old circle. Uh, one of the coolest things I've ever done is uh, we were on a plane flying to uh, France, and we took a red eye, so it was dark, but as morning came up and you could start seeing the sun come through, well, really not morning as the earth spun that way, you know, but as we were going and I, the light started coming through, I opened my, my little shade thing, but this plane had a television in the back of the seat, like most planes do nowadays, and, but this television had a channel. And this channel you could go on and one channel would show you where you were at in the journey, how far you'd come, how far you had to go, estimated time of arrival, all that stuff, which was um, more disheartening than helpful. Uh, on an 11 hour flight, right? You check on it, been in the air for five hours. Wow, we've got six hours to go, woohoo, <laughs> you know. But the cool feature is there was another channel that showed the external cameras of the aircraft. Now, they had one on the belly of the plane, and if you did that, all you saw was the clouds. Because uh, we were at, I can't, we were at like 38,000 feet. We were up there on that flight. Um, then they had a nose uh, camera, and then they had a tail on the, the one that sticks up in the back. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? If it was an animal, it would be the dorsal fin, but I can't think of what it's called on the plane. Um, they had a camera up there. And so you could get that camera, and you could see the whole plane. And as the sun was rising, you could see the curvature of the earth because we were up so high. It was so cool. It's probably the closest I'm ever going to get to space um, until they, they have the call for the first pastor on Mars, and then I'm signing up. They won't take me, but I'll still try, right? So while the Bible is not a scientific book, whenever the Bible speaks of something scientific, it is always accurate. How many rabbit trails can we go down before we get through chapter 22? Any guesses? All right. Verse 17. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me. For they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God, for all his judgments were before me. And as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his eyes. So the Lord delivered David because David was following him, because the Lord delighted in him, just as the Lord delights in us. Right? Remember in Romans 8, 31 and following, it says that if God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him for all of us, or freely gave him, how will he not with him freely give us all things? Something like that. And I think there is so much comfort and peace and joy that we miss out on in our own lives because we don't recognize this truth. Now, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of this changed after David's sin with Bathsheba. Um, and honestly, and I'm borrowing this from Pastor Chuck, just in case you're wondering, um, I think, because Pastor Chuck said he thinks, and I agree with Pastor Chuck, um, that David's relationship improved after his sin with Bathsheba. His relationship with God improved. Um, and this was because he stopped coming to God based on his own good works. But he started, and he started coming to God based on God's grace and mercy. And I think a lot of us go through this in our walk with Christ. I know I did. And God had to heal me of that, which was quite painful. Um, because I think a lot of us try to come to God, especially early on as believers, 
um, based on something we did that means we should have earned God's favor. Man, I did it a lot. All right, Lord, I got up early this morning. I prayed for an hour. So now I'm going to ask for this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, I think you should listen because I got up early and I prayed for an hour. You know, or, oh, you know what, Lord, I went to church. I went to Wednesday night. I didn't just go on Sunday morning. I went to Wednesday night. So, you know, the next time I buy a lottery ticket, pretty sure I should be hitting those numbers. Now, I know those are kind of ridiculous examples, especially the second one. But I used to do that. Anybody? Am I the only one? You guys all, I know you're all much better than me. Um, but I used to do that a lot. And I used to, I mean, look at how good I look. Right? I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'll tell you, I'll tell you guys a story. And oh, I shouldn't say this out loud. But that's all right. You guys already know I'm a wretched sinner. Um, years ago, uh, we were at a church in North Dakota, Dickinson, North Dakota. And I was teaching on Sunday nights. I think it was Sunday nights when I did the Revelation study. That sounds right. It doesn't matter when it was. But I was teaching through the Revelation study. And I remember um, being in front of, of the church and the folks that were there. And telling them all um, that essentially they should emulate my behavior. Because I spent more time studying the Word of God than I did watching television. Right? And even though the statement was true. Right? Oh, I mean, that, that is about the most, um, what, what, you know, the, 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 dumb, the dumb donkey. The dumb donkey. And I'm not talking about a silent donkey. Right? It's just stupid and prideful and arrogant. And I was so full of it. I don't, I still don't understand why God didn't just smack me off the stool or wherever. If I don't remember if I was standing or sitting. I don't know why he just didn't punch me in the face. I deserved to be punched in the face more than once because I was so full of it. And it took, oh, it took some very painful experiences for me to get over all that. And now, it's the same reason I don't ask for God's justice. I don't ask for God's justice upon anybody else because I don't want his justice upon me. Right? I, I don't ask God to break the teeth out of somebody else's mouth because whatever sin they've committed is not worse than anything I've done. Um. And the reality is, is we all deserve God's wrath. It's only because of his goodness and his grace. Because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That allows us to approach God in any way. So we never come to him because we think we're worthy. I'm here to help you with your self-esteem. You are not worthy. You guys remember Wayne's World? Anybody? Okay, thank you. So Cynthia is not proud of the fact that she remembers Wayne's World while I'm thinking, I should go watch those movies because we own them. <laughs> but Mike Myers and Dana Carvey, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. When they met uh, Alice Cooper, who, if you didn't know, Alice Cooper loves to steal antique chairs. That is not true. That's from another television show. And there's only a couple people in this room that know that reference. That was for you, my family. Um, but we're just, we're not. We are not worthy to come before him. But when we come based on his grace given to us through Jesus Christ, then we can come with boldness. It's a big difference, isn't it? Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. And I really like that. The only thing it really takes to be humble. Right? And here, here is the, the secret formula that I've shared with, with all of you many times in the past. Uh, it comes from C.S. Lewis. The only thing that's required to be humble is that we're honest with ourselves and we have a good memory. Right? 
and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Because if you're honest with yourself and you remember what a wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked sinner you really are, it's not hard to be humble. Because everything that's good in my life, everything that's good about me comes from him. It has nothing to do with me. 1 John 1.7 If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 26 through 28. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With the blameless, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. You will save the humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty, that you may bring them down. This is just, once again, is this a principle of sowing and reaping? Uh, that we've talked about several times, both on Wednesdays and Sundays over the last few weeks. Uh, The reference for that, of course, is Galatians 6, verses 7 through 8. Now, verse 29. For you are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord shall enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all those who trust in him. Isn't that... A beautiful verse. God's way is perfect. And when you get to the next verse, um, oh no, I started at verse 33. For who is God except the Lord and who is the rock except our God? God is my strength and power and he makes my way perfect. He makes my way or makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He sets me on the high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Um, I've never tried to bend a bow of bronze. I had a compound bow once that had a 75-pound draw. That was hard enough, but it had a, well, an 80% let. So once you got it there, it was easy to hold. But then I, I thought I was, I was pretty good with that bow, so I decided I'd get myself a longbow. Right? And I got me a longbow, and I think my longbow had a 55-pound draw. But a longbow, it's just a string and a stick. And um, I hit everything but the target while I tried to use that thing. (laughs) Um, uh, So eventually I gave it to somebody. Um, But that was really hard, a 55-pound draw. Now, what would the draw be on a bronze bow? (laughs) So what David's getting at is, of course... That God is giving him strength to do the things that he needs to do. That David was only successful in his life and in his various endeavors because of the Lord's work, protection, and salvation in his life. Uh, But back to verse 31. His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. Um, God does absolutely nothing wrong. Everything that he does is right because of his sovereignty And his word is proven, or another way to say that is that his word does not fail. In Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus told us, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So the day is going to come when, as Peter says, the heavens and earth will melt with a fervent heat. The elements themselves will melt. How did Peter know? Remember, the Bible is not a scientific book. But when the Bible speaks about something scientific, it's accurate. How did Peter know about things on an atomic level? How did Peter know that the world was made up of elements? He didn't have a periodic table in Hebrew school when he was growing up. Just interesting things to think about. But one day, this very place that we're sitting in will dissolve. Right? It'll, it'll be gone. Now God's going to create a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem wherein righteousness dwells, and that's going to be pretty awesome. But everything around us is going to be gone. Gone, 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 gone. But not the word of God. It will endure forever. Verse 32. Who is God except the Lord? Who is the rock except our God? There is only one God. He is our strength. And then according to verse 33, he makes our way perfect, setting us on high places with feet like a deer. Um, I just, I love it. God 
is the one who makes our way perfect. So here's a question for all of us. If God is the one who has given us our purpose, if God is the one who has, and when I use the word if there, it's since, since God is the one who has given us purpose, and since God is the one who has a plan for our lives, and since God promises us that when we seek him and when, he trust, when we trust him, that he will show us that path that he wants us to walk down, why do we argue with him so much? Right? You better not have an answer for that question. <laughs> Romans 9, 20 and 21. But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the power, the potter, sorry, have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Isn't it nice to know we're all lumps? That's biblical language, folks. I don't know what you want me to say. We're all things in lumps, according to this passage. But the reality is God made us to be who he made us to be. And on the one hand, that should bring us amazing joy and comfort. Because he didn't make me to be somebody else. He made me to be me. And so I don't have to compare myself to you. And you don't have to compare yourself to me. And at the same time, boy, there's times where I wonder, Lord, really? You want me to do what now? Well, I, I'm not sure about that. And we argue with him. Bad idea. Verse 34. 40, no, I read that. Verse 35, I read that too. Verse 36. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your gentleness has made me great. Oh, what a beautiful thought. You enlarged my path under me so my feet did not slip. I have pursued my enemies and destroyed them. Neither did I turn back again till they were destroyed, and I have destroyed them and wounded them so that they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet, for you have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued under me those who rose against me. You have also given me the necks of my enemies so that I destroyed those who hated me. They looked, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Then I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I trod them like dirt in the streets, and I spread them out. You have also delivered me from the strivings of my people. Right? There were plenty of times where the Israelites, his son, others, came against him. You have kept me as the head of the nations. A people I have not known shall serve me. The foreigners submit to me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. The foreigners fade away and come frightened from their hideouts. So verse 36 all the way up through verse 46 essentially is David going, Man, I kicked a lot of rear end. And it's all thanks to you, Lord. Nobody could stand against me. Verse 47. Oh, by the way, uh, a people I have not known shall serve me is sometimes taken as a prophecy of the gentile church i think it's a little bit of a stretch but i've heard a lot of people say that and i don't know you're welcome to to think that verse 47 the lord lives blessed be my rock let god be exalted the rock of my salvation it is god who avenges me and subdues me the peoples under me he delivers me from my enemies you also lift me up above those who rise against me you have delivered me from the violent man therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. He is the tower of salvation to his king, and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and to his descendants forevermore. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, it's, it's just, just beautiful. Now, as we get to, uh, well, before we move on to verse or chapter 23, sorry, I do think it's interesting that he talks about the Lord being alive, right? Um, when the Sadducees confronted Jesus about the resurrection, you know, they, they told that bogus story about, well, you know, they, this man, he had a wife and he died and they didn't have any kids. So his brother took the wife. Uh, to raise up kids for his brother. But he died and didn't have any kids. And then the third brother and fourth and fifth and sixth, until all seven of the brothers had her as wife, and then finally she died and none of them had kids. 
So in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And Jesus' answer there is one of my favorite answers in all of Scripture to any question ever asked. You are mistaken, for you neither understand the Scriptures nor the power of God. How often are we mistaken because we don't understand the Scriptures or the power of God? Uh, But anyways, he goes on and he says, do you remember in the burning bush, bush passage, Uh, Because they didn't, you know, it wasn't Exodus 3 back then. It was just the burning bush passage. When God spoke to Moses and he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not I was their God, but I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because God is the God of the living and not the dead. And he can only be the God of the living because he is the one true living God. I find that very, very cool. Chapter 23, the last words of David. Um, I do think that one's last words are important. Um, I remember the last conversation I had with my grandfather. Uh, He was on hospice, heart failure. I I know I've talked about my grandfather before. Um, But one of the last, I think it was the last conversation I had with him, if I remember correctly. Uh, He couldn't wear his glasses because he was on oxygen, so he couldn't read. So I would go sit in his room and I'd read the Bible to him. And um, I read, uh, I I often read to him from the Gospels. And I remember asking him once, um, you know, if he knew what a certain passage meant. And he said, well, yeah, it means God wins is how he described it. That's a great answer. That's exactly what it was. And shortly before he died, he actually had a dream of a scarlet thread from heaven pulling him home. And, and just that that was the last thing I remember my grandfather saying to me. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, I mean, he died 22 years ago. And I still hold on to that. So these are David's last words. Really his final psalm as it's recorded for us. Ver, uh, chapter 23, verse 1. Now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high. The anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made me or made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall all be as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron in the shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. I kind of like that. That picture that he paints there, right? Those in rebellion, they're taken away. But they can't be taken away with hands. You can't actually grab them. Um, Because they're on fire. Right? That's very graphic language. Um, So you have to be armed with iron. And you could push them along with the shaft of a spear. But you can't touch them because they're on fire. When Jesus talks about the place of eternal judgment, he calls it, A place where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. I don't want to go there and I praise God that I never will. Uh, So David's final words, he speaks of how God spoke to him. uh, Basically talking about the fact that David wrote under the inspiration of God. And this is acknowledged in the New Testament as well. Places like Acts 1.16. He also talks about how the rock who is Christ spoke to him. And then he talks about how the Spirit was present in all of this. Right? The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke. Here in this beautiful little passage in 2 Samuel 23, we see the Trinity represented. Father, Son, and Spirit, all in one place. He speaks of God's light. He speaks of God's covenant. Remember when David wanted to build a house for the Lord and God said, nope, your son will build it. He goes, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to build you a house. And that 
was the promise of the Messiah through David's line. My favorite verse in this passage is the second half of verse 5. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? We should desire our salvation, our relationship with God through Christ above everything else. That's what Matthew 6.33 said. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And unfortunately, I think we get so distracted by all the things that we don't always seek first the kingdom of God. But if we would, God promises to take care of the things. Now, verses 8 through 39, we have the names of David's mighty men and some of their exploits, um, which I think is fun. We're going we're to go through it fairly quickly. So, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb Bashabeth, the Tachmanite. I may skip a few names along the way. Chief among the captains, he was called Adino, um, the Ends Knight, because he had killed 800 men at one time. After him was Eliezer, the son of, I have to say it, Dodo, which is not much better. Uh, yeah, some translations will call say it's Dodai. My Bible actually says Dudu. And because I'm like eight years old inside, I kind of chuckle at that. Um, but he was an Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David. David, sorry, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle and the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. Right, So you have uh, the first guy who killed uh, uh, Adino. He killed 800 guys at once. I cannot imagine the this really the supernatural energy it would take to, considering it was with a sword, right? He wasn't up there with some 50 caliber mounted machine gun on the back of a truck. He did it with a sword or a spear. 800 guys. Then you get this next guy. He um, fought with the Philistines until the point that his hand literally stuck or froze to the sword. What would actually have happened is the nerves would have gone numb and his hand would have cramped into that position. And he wouldn't have felt it anymore because the nerves had went numb because he was holding the sword so tightly for so long. Uh, and there's actually historical accounts of this happening. And the only way to undo it is you had to get a tub full of hot water that you could put the whole hand in with enough of the hilt of the sword so you could get your hand and your arm in there to loosen it up. Verse 11. After him was Shammah, the son of Agi, that, the, the, that guy. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines, but he said no. He stationed himself in the middle of the field and he defended it and he killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Now, I like me a good bowl of lentil soup, but I ain't defending a field full of lentils against the uh, Philistines if I don't have to. Then three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim, and David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistine was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. So that was when David was running from Saul uh, and Saul was actually fighting against the Philistines and they had laid siege to Bethlehem and he wanted this drink. And these three guys that we just talked about, they're like, hey, our captain wants this water, not just any old water, but this water. And they went and fought through 
the Philistine troops, got him a glass of water. I'm hoping they put it in some kind of container, or else it would have been really hard not to spill it on the way back. And when they get back, David couldn't believe what they had done and said, no, I can't drink this. Instead, I'll pour it out, pour it out as an offering to the Lord. You talk about loyalty and courage. Now, Abishai, the brother of Joab, verse 18, the son of Zeruiah, was a chief of another three. He lifted his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. How do you kill 300 guys with a spear? Right? A sword is all slashy, especially a double-edged sword, back and forth, back and forth. But a spear is stabby, and you've got to pull it back out. 300 guys. Hopefully he got a couple at the same time, right? Maybe through the neck. I don't know. I'm just thinking about this. Was he not, verse 19, the most honored of three? Therefore he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. So then you have Benaiah. Um, he was a valiant man from Kabzeel. He had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. If you ever play a Bible trivia game, right, you need to remember the name Benaiah. Because for some reason, whenever you play a Bible trivia game, they will ask you which of David's mighty men went down and killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. It's Benaiah. I won't remember it, but I have seen that question come up in so many Bible trivia games. He also killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff, wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. So you just have to imagine this. He had a staff. He had a walking stick. The other guy had a spear, and he's like, well, I can't kill you with my walking stick, so I'm going to take your spear and kill you with that. Dude, Benaiah, beast. So that's what he did, and he won a name among the three. Now, verse 23, he was more honored than the 30, but he didn't attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. Uh, Now, eventually, um, this Benaiah actually becomes uh, the commander over Solomon's military, but we'll get to that later. So now we're just, we're going to get a bunch of names. Asahel, the brother of Joab, was one of the 30. Uh, Remember, he was killed um, by, oh, why can't I remember who he was killed by? Anyways, it's, it's earlier on. For some reason, I can't remember it. Uh, but Asahel, the brother of Joab. Then you have Elhanan. And then you have Shama, Elika, Helez, Ira, uh, Abiezer, Mabunai, Zalman, Maharai, Helab, uh, Ittai. Uh, they were from Gibeah of the children of Benjamin. Then you have another Benaiah. Then Hidai, and Abi Alban, and Asmaveth. I'm not reading all their father's names. Um, Eli, El- Eliaba, and Jonathan. Oh, praise God, Jonathan. <laughs> After all the others, right? Praise God for a John. Um, oh, now I lost my place. That's what I get. Uh, verse 33, Shema, and Sharar, and Eliphlet, Eliphlet, uh, Eliam, Herazai, Parai, Igol, Nathan, yay, another name, Zoba, Zelik, uh, Naharhari, the, who was the armor bearer of Joab, Ira, the Ithrite, Garib, the Ithrite, and Uriah, the Hittite, 37 in all. Now, I do just have to bring up real quick before we close, notice the last name on the list, Uriah, the Hittite. And I said this back when we studied David and Bathsheba. But this is a man who was so loyal to David that David trusted him to carry his own death warrant to Joab. Gave him a seal envelope, trusted this man to not open it. And he didn't. And he died. This was one of the mighty men who was part of David's personal bodyguard. There's a few others listed in, uh, oh wait, no, not, uh, that's, uh, that's wrong. Uh, you will find this list in um, 
First Chronicles as well, but we'll worry about that when we get there. Uh, but what I love about this list, do you want to know what I love about this list? Is that the people God chooses to use are rarely the people we would choose. Have you ever noticed that? You know, we watched uh, that movie, Jesus Revolution. And you look at the people that God used in that time frame. Pastor Chuck, a guy who had, at that point in time, he had been a pastor for almost 20 years. He had pastored several churches that failed. He had left a denomination. He had a, a small church. I, I mean, and God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pick you. And I'm not just going to pick you to reach a few hippies. I'm going to use you and your ministry to reach millions. And that's what happened. And I've heard Pastor Chuck say it. Um, I heard him say it in person several times. I still can't figure out why God chose me. I love that. I'm so thankful that God chooses the people we wouldn't choose because I would have never chosen me. And no offense, probably wouldn't have chosen y'all either. <laughs> Except for Leah. Leah is practically perfect in every way. We know that. Um, next week, the plan will be to finish 2 Samuel, which is really great timing because the following week is uh, movie night and then the following week we're at camp and then the following few weeks I'm, at, um, I'm asleep or, or, or playing pickleball or whatever. I'm on vacation. Um, but until then, I do want to just give you this encouragement. I love God's timing. There are no accidents in God's kingdom. And uh, just a few days ago, as I'm reading through the Bible, I just got back into Psalms again. Um, and uh, absolutely love that that's where I'm at based on what we studied tonight, because I just want to encourage you to spend some time in the Psalms. Let God speak to you through them and allow the richness of the Psalms to help you worship and pray. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness and your mercy. We thank you for all the beautiful things we can learn from your word. And I pray, Father, that we would take them to heart. Lord, you warn us to not be those who are hearers only, but are doers of the word. So I pray, Father, that we wouldn't walk away tonight like a person who looked in a mirror and immediately forgot what they looked like. But we would walk away taking the things that we've heard and studied and talked about in your word, and that by the grace and power of your spirit at work in us, we would apply it and walk it out. All for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.